bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I said amen. amen. And that is what God will do for everyone present here today in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone joining us online or listening to this by device. You may, you may be listening to this, maybe not live, long after it's been preached, but that will come alive for you again today in Jesus' name. Amen. And it will destroy every affliction in your body in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it will bring provisions into your life amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right, let's open our Bibles. We will continue looking at um, our exposition on the prosperity that the Lord gives to his children. And we're talking about material supplies, which we said is the will of God. And that's what we want to continue to look at. Now, last time we concluded looking at, of course, there's something I began to say to let us understand that I'm not here to teach business principles. I'm not, of course, along the line, we may say one or two things that will appear that you can apply when you are doing your business, but we are trying to set a spiritual foundation for everything that we are doing as believers. A spiritual foundation is our most important thing, so that's what we are doing. And I want to remind us again that if the spiritual condition is right, the physical things fall in line. And that's what God does. He first sets the spiritual conditions for our lives right. Israel made that mistake when they were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah they were expecting was supposed to, all right, in their own estimation, he was supposed to come and set their material situations right. But what God did was to set the order, in, in, that is, set things in the appropriate order. This Messiah he sent came first to set the spiritual condition of the people right. Even that Messiah, does have, I mean, preparation had to be made for him to come. John the Baptist was sent to go and set the place right so that the Messiah could come. Before God can come into your life, certain things must be set aright. And that's what we are discussing. It doesn't just come with manifestations. First of all, there must be preparation. So what happens is as, as believers, we go for the spiritual preparation. And Isaiah told us that what we do is to elevate the valleys, that is, put sand, rock, everything in the, the, high area, in the low areas, and bring down the mountains so that what used to be an undulating topography will become a smooth place, and then he said the glory of God will be revealed. The revelation of the glory of God is automatic if the appropriate preparations have been made. Let me say that again. The revelation of God, the power of God is automatic if the appropriate preparations have been made. If you make the appropriate preparations, God will find it easy to come into your life. So what are we saying? We make the state of our hearts right as believers in Christ Jesus. And one of the first things we do is to get the appropriate information. Anybody can have challenges. But for believers in Christ Jesus, we are not, we don't believe our challenges are determined by those funny things. Some people tell you, if you fail, they say it's because there's a curse running in your life. We have established the first information we need to know is that our, um, the curses in our lives have been broken in Christ Jesus. If somebody believes that, give me an amen. amen. Are there ancestral curses? Yes. Are they there in your life? No. Do they exist as a phenomenon in life generally? The answer is most certainly yes. Is that what is plaguing the believer in Christ Jesus? The answer is most certainly no. Unless, of course, the fellow gets involved in what I call ancestral misbehavior. Because whether you're a Christian or not, there's a just recompense of reward for disobedience. So what you learn is obedience. But that the curse is following you about, 
and that you cannot prosper even though you want to prosper is not the word of God for the believer in Christ Jesus. So these are the things we, we are doing. We are setting the conditions right, first of all, by getting the appropriate information. There are people who, in their hearts, they have rejected the blessing of God. They will be arguing with you, for example, that does God still heal today? I know a denomination, a sect in Christianity. They, so, they are insistent that God does not heal. If you are a member and you get healed and you come and testify that you prayed and God healed you, they can excommunicate you. When I say you went to a pastor to pray, you prayed in your house and you got divine healing. They can actually drive you away from their midst. Which to me, I find it very curious. If that's the case, then why do you go to doctors? When did God abdicate his responsibility or his power and hand it over to human beings? But the same people go to hospitals, the same people are doctors, the same people train as nurses, the same people train as healthcare workers, and they actually use those facilities. But they will say to you that God does not heal. So I wonder who heals now. Is it the devil? Because you can't tell me it's human beings. This power is not with people. I hope you're getting my point. If you go to them and you say God healed you, they will quarrel. They say that it's only at resurrection, when you get into paradise, that you will not be healed. So if on the earth right now, the only chance is if the doctor can solve your problem. If they can't solve it, then you are not allowed to ask God for healing. Now, that is a very terrible mindset. It's a very, very terrible mindset. That repels away every good that God wants to bring into our lives. So one of the things you must do is to make sure that you do not harbor in your heart negative thoughts. You must follow divine, you understand, um, revelation in what you are going to believe. God, if the Lord says that he heals people, I am the Lord thy God that he led thee. Say amen to it. Whether you have been going, well, I'm not talking about now, I'm talking about uh, anytime you hear it, all right? Now, even if you have been going around looking for healing and you have not yet received it, you still say amen to that. He said, it is the Lord thy God that giveth thee the power to get wealth, to create wealth. The answer is amen. We're talking about abundant prosperity now. The answer is amen. Whether you have felt it or not, whether you have experienced it or not, you say amen to it. You don't go around, you know, like I said last time, you have on your heart anger towards the rich. It's not necessary. If you read the scriptures, you read in the, the, the epistles of Paul, you know they were rich Christians in the church. That's why I told Timothy, tell them this is how a rich person should behave. I hope you're getting my point. You can go and read that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, instruct those who are rich amongst you. So there were people who were rich there. So, you know, some people equate poverty with holiness. Poverty is not holiness. Prosperity is not holiness. None of them is holiness. I hope you're getting my point. Holiness is holiness. But in the midst of holiness we can experience divine abundance. You must not reject those thoughts in your heart. I said last time that we have to fight unbelief. Let me just repeat it a bit. bit. There is light and there is darkness. Darkness is a spiritual force. You can be believing God. We taught a series then titled The Fight Against Unbelief. Why did we teach about the fight against unbelief? It is because even though you are believing God, unbelief is a negative force in itself. There's one minister I listened to he says, he says something, I believe it, that one of the reasons why you pray for long before you see the result, which, which is something you don't find Jesus, that Jesus did, is that God doesn't answer immediately. God answers. Why do we take time out? Sometimes, why does, why does answer take a, a lot of time? It may take a length of time before it comes. And then you tend to persist in prayer. He says something which I never forgot, and it's very true. He said that sometimes what you are doing is that you are fighting unbelief before that thing can be released. So, you ask for something from the Lord on day one, it doesn't manifest for the next 100 days. That what you do in prayer after that is to be fighting unbelief. 
It was when I first heard him preach that I actually taught that series, the fight against unbelief. That, oh, this is so true. He said, you fight unbelief because unbelief can suspend what God wants to do in your life. It can, God has released it, but the angel carrying the blessing cannot break through into your life because unbelief is there. I hope you're getting my point. So, you fight unbelief. You fight it. Last time, I, I, I listed the number of things that we have to fight as believers, which, which constitutes unbelief. Now, what's the difference between faith and unbelief, you see? Certainly, they are the opposite of each other, but sometimes you can define them separately. It is possible for somebody to be trying to walk in faith. At the same time, there's unbelief locking. He's tackling faith in an area, but unbelief is blocking him from another angle. Let me give an example. Let us assume you come to church, all right, and you are taught that God wants you to prosper, and then you believe it. Do you follow my point? And then, they, as a matter of fact, God wants you to prosper, and he wants to supply all your needs, and you pray that, oh, that you will bless me indeed like Jabez, and that you will enlarge my course and all of that. You say that, and you say in Jesus' name, amen, and you start holding on to that. That is faith, troubles. There's no catch to it. Is that faith? All right, that is faith. Now, but unbelief can be there. You can unconsciously in your mind, and it's very common with Christians. It's very common with Christians, what I'm about to say. Unconsciously in the heart, you believe in prosperity, you believe in everything, but unconsciously there's something locking inside there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So you look at your environment, you call it Nazareth. You are getting my point. You look at the city you are in, you call it Nazareth. You believe in prosperity, but let me give an example. Like Abraham, you believe that God will fulfill what he has promised. But will he do it through Sarah? It's a problem. Do you follow my point? Until God comes and addresses that one specifically. Because there was a discussion about it. God had to specifically say to Abraham, Sarah will indeed bear you a child. All the while, he was believing God. But as times, as, as the time went on, he began to reason that, well, maybe God, even Sarah herself began to reason. That why don't you take my maid, Hagar? And he fell for it. I, I hope I get my point. He was believing God all the while, but how will God do it? So somebody can be believing God in pros- for prosperity, like we're saying, but unconsciously, unbelief says it can happen where you are. And the good Lord who sent you is not planning to relocate you. I hope I get my point. So day one, you started believing God. Five years later, no manifestation. Why? Unbelief said, until you live where you are, you cannot break through. Do you get my point? So the word of the Lord has to come to you. That's why you have to pay attention to the word. The word will now come to you and say to you that the Lord is not limited by circumstances. And that where you are, he can make water flow in the midst of the wilderness. I was in a, in, uh, during the week, and the program I went for, was the, the name of the program is A Cure for Desert Places. And I liked that title so much. That I, you, we, believers, the people of God, we are the cure for desert places. So we don't run away. In fact, the way I started that, I was, <laughs> we're reading, well, I was quoting from Genesis chapter 1, that the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the world was, was without form and void. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and God said, let's get a visa. We need to go to Mars. And God said, let's get a visa. We need to go to Jupiter. Because this earth is not good. I hope I get my point here. Now, I just played with that a bit. Because that's how we behave. We look at it as if I'm believing God, but the environment I am in 
will prevent the promise of God from manifesting. That in itself is called unbelief. They came to Nathaniel. Come, we have found something. He said, can anything good <laughs> come out of Nazareth? And it was a small town, small village. Nothing, that was the reputation. Nothing good comes out of there. So he would have missed it, except his people were able to persuade him. He said, come and see. Now, what I'm going to say here, that's how unbelief operates. So you can, believe, you can be, in quotes, walking in faith, and you're waking up every day. I told you about a man who I met. The way he quoted scriptures, the way he was interested in the word of God. Uh-uh. The way he would pray. I felt like God should do something good for this man. You know, there are times you all look and say, God, did you, have you considered my brother? You mentioned the fellow's name. For everything that he's believing, words that he's declaring. Uh, why don't you do something in his life? That was what I, I, I thought too. Then I asked somebody, say, please, this brother, why don't, we, why don't you help him? He said, I have tried to help him. He said, if I get a regular job, the money will be too small. So I'm waiting for the big breakthrough. Praying, fasting, believing God, and hustling, but nothing was coming. Why? Because unbelief said to him, you don't walk, you don't build your life gradually. Unbelief said you will go going around until suddenly you hit a breakthrough. Unbelief said to him, don't follow the normal precepts of life. Be covetous. Even though he was believing God all the days I knew him, nothing happened to him. Nothing good, I mean. And that's why we fight unbelief. Last time, some of the things we explained, I said, no, 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 I can't remember them now, but maybe you can remind me. Some of the, the kind of unbelief will fight. One of them is the anger towards the rich. You always have an explanation why. And it's very common. That arrogance is part of it, pride. You are very intelligent. You, I mean, older people, are, they, often, they often fall into that. I told you about the professor I met. The, when I saw it, it was nothing but pride. How can people who are not as educated and not as intelligent as I am be much richer than I am. There must be something bad they are doing, which I did not do. I hope you are getting my point. I told you, I grew up in an environment where most people around just believe that nobody becomes rich in life except he does something terrible. When I say terrible now, sacrifice his child, sacrifice you know, a, a living goat, you know, bury a sacrifice, you know, things like that. I remember once there was a particular <laughs> man. He bought and gave... gave his bishop those days, a gift. I know that gift, it was a talk of town. That This was years ago, all right? It was a talk of that, town that time. People heard about it all over the place. He bought and gave his bishop a car. And it was a brand new S600. Now I'm telling you something about 20... Yeah. That was only less than 26, 27 years ago. About 26, 27 years ago. Yes. Yeah, it was around 1993. Yeah. 1994, yes, 1994. 26 years about. So one day, one of my friends were talking about, he's not a believer, so, but, so I just want to give an illustration. He said, so we're just talking about, now I mentioned it, he said, eh, somebody did that? He said, ah. He said, they won't catch him. Never. He said, only drug dealers do things like that. That that man is praying that he will never be caught. That that was why he went to offer a sacrifice to his prophet. I did not argue with him. He was not a believer. That's what I call unbelief. Carved his head that nobody can be so prosperous as to have that kind of thing to give as a person to somebody. 
Now, listen. For him, it's not just about generosity now. It's about having that amount to be generous with. Do you follow my point? That no, there must be something. You no, know, there are people like that. They, when you do something, they are calculating what are, what, what are you getting. There must be something you are getting. It's what is called unbelief. And it plagues a lot of people. And unfortunately, pastors sometimes, they cater to the unbelief of Christians. When they want to motivate them to do good things, they have to show them what they will gain. All we are doing is promoting unbelief. So tomorrow when they see a good work being done, in their minds, this man is doing what? He's gaining something. That's what the Bible calls strongholds. Many times in life, people are believing God, but strongholds in their hearts will not let them go forward. I've seen a man sitting down from the period I knew about, nothing that's seven years, was waiting to get the visa to leave Nigeria, and it wasn't working. In that process, people were becoming millionaires every week. But he was sitting down waiting, had his eyes fixed somewhere. That's what I mean by unbelief. Sometimes people will just lock themselves in a stronghold, serious stronghold. And even though they are praying, now listen to this, they are praying. I've seen Christians, ah, God. These days, I just made up, I was here chatting with one of, our, one of my friends today, just before I came up here. I just made up my mind that Christians are funny, that it, a lot of supposed Christians are funny people. Hear them talk. You know they don't believe. Listen, let me tell you something. Eh? Going to church is not a problem. Everybody goes to church. The Bible makes it clear. As a man thinks in his heart, that's what really he's like. It's not what he says to you. People, people lift up hands in church, but hear them talk. I see some, some brethren, a lot of them who talk like this. They're not even in the country. But you hear them talk. In fact, one we're talking about, that any good news you show him, you understand, coming out of Nigeria, he has to say, no, something's going on. One guy made a statement. When they say Landmark University is giving out scholarships, you heard about it, that they're giving out scholarships, that free tuition to anybody who's coming to study any agricultural you know, um, course, either agri-economics, food development, extension, anything that has agric in it, fisheries, whatever, animal husbandry, whatever it is, free tuition, he said there must be a catch. What was his response? There must be a catch. That's what they call strongholds. Some people don't say it, they believe it. And that's, the, that's one major reason why people, they are, the power of God can't reach them. It's called strongholds. Always having an explanation, what I call excuses for Satan. Always, always having an explanation why things will not work. I like one thing, not really that I like. It's a story Tony Bakari told. He's from a polygamous home. And he had a, a, a brother older than him, an older brother, half-brother by another mother. Are you getting my point? Okay. And that one will come to his house every time. If he has problems, he'll come and discuss with him. And he has to make an excuse for why he's having problems. He says, because his father died. That, ah, that my father died early, that's what the problem is. If my father had not died early, I won't be suffering like this. He would have been able to send me to school. I would have been able to make some advance and all of that. It didn't cross his mind that he was talking to his younger half-brother, born to the same father. He said one day he couldn't take it anymore. He shouted on him, Egmo, was that your father, not my father too? That's what they call unbelief. Meanwhile, he held it as an excuse. Unbelief. People always blame, and it's very common. Listen, you see people are not going forward. They always find something to blame. Restructuring. 
That's a common blame now. Nigeria needs to be restructured before I can make progress. PDP has to leave power. Vote for change, vote for change, vote for change. Then PDP left, APC came in. Within a month, what are we hearing? Is this the change you voted for? Those who were poor remained poor. They were not, they didn't, progress didn't come. Once you are pointing outwardly, outside, at the reason why I'm not making progress, we are walking in unbelief. And we saw that unbelief is very powerful. You can sing right there in front of Jesus Christ. He wants to bless you. He takes you out of Egypt. You are born again now. He baptized you, you know, in the Red Sea. You'll get to the edge of the promised land. He said, go in, you can take the land. Say, no, we're not able. Only those who know people in power do things like that. There are times government will advertise. Some people will never. Once, you know, state government wanted to, they advertised that they wanted to sell land and all of that for housing development. So I remember one brother looked and said, are you minding them? He has read no details. What did he say? Are you minding them? Another of his friends just said, I am minding them, please. What, what did, that, that one was taking information down. And really, this is how many good things happen to people. Can anything good, that is, how many good things are coming towards people, but they will, it will not happen to them. Why? Because they said in their hearts, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Unbelief is something you fight deliberately. I discussed that last time. What have we been explaining? Your primary assignment as a believer, when it comes to re- re- receiving God's provisions, divine abundance, divine prosperity, is work on the spiritual climate of your heart. Let me say that again. Work on the spiritual climate of your heart. There's no point struggling outwardly until you have struggled inwardly and you have overcome. I hope you're getting my point here. There's no point struggling outwardly until inwardly you have struggled and you have overcome. What do I mean by struggling? That is, you have changed your perspective. You've changed your mindset. You've reached what the Bible calls a point of being fully persuaded. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Being fully persuaded. I need to emphasize this again. Life is spiritually controlled. It is spiritually controlled. It is spiritually controlled. Life is spiritually controlled. If in your heart you are a loser, outward is a matter of time you will become a loser. If in your heart you are a winner, and when I say winner, I don't mean desire to win. I mean you really are a winner. As we go on, we'll look at the traits by which you will know that somebody is really a winner. One of the examples or one of the things you find with a winner is generosity. And that's why, listen, you know, I keep on trying to correct that thing. That's why we shouldn't teach Christians that they give so you can collect. A winning heart is a generous heart. The heart of the winner is naturally generous. And I've said to you, it's not just about giving out money. It's in everything. It's in everything. That is, you just look at yourself as, listen, you know what I call prosperity? Let me just to, to explain what I mean by when you look at yourself. A prosperous fellow is the person making things happen. Did you hear what I said? Making things, positive things, I mean. You look at yourself that, what am I supposed to make happen? What can I make happen? I've said it, you know, this is why I like one of the ways I like to explain it. You, you think of things like this. What do people need and I'm remembered? That's what I mean. Making things happen. People need something and they will remember me. And if you have not identified it currently, you start looking out for it. Start developing yourself in that area that when people need something, they will call me. 
It's very important. You must have that kind of reputation in life. That it doesn't have to be a big thing. I hope you're getting my point. Do you follow my point? It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be human need. They, look, they need to beautify a house. They remember me. They need to buy a car. They remember me. They need to make a dress. I am remembered. They need to, you know, feed 500 people. I am remembered. They need to fix their car. I am remembered. They need to fix their hair. I am remembered. They need to communicate, send money abroad. I am remembered. They need to receive money from abroad. I am remembered. They need to, you know, you know, there's something human need. That's the first thing you go for. It's very, very important. That is, I'm talking about the winning attitude. That's what I mean by giver. The giver person is thinking, what do I, it's not about, okay, what do I give out, you know, that shout free. But what am I contributing to life on a daily basis? That's what I mean. You know, I'm not, I'm not a very old man yet, but I've lived around a bit as an adult, all right? And I've seen that sometimes I look at a country like ours, when people say that country is, but I say, listen, the amount of blessing in this country is far beyond what the people inside, the average person can account for spiritually. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. Listen, God has reasons for blessing people. When I talk to the average person on the street, there's no reason why we should be this blessed. When the people say we pray too much, better continue praying. Because the only explanation for the blessing I see around is prayer. It's favor. Some people are invoking the favor of God. They are. If you leave it to the average person you see on the street, we are in trouble. You know the the noise that's going on now? Uh, NSAS. NSAS. The president finally spoke about it yesterday and all of that. I read it. I didn't read it. I saw just the headlines today. I just smiled to myself. I said, there's nothing wrong with SARS. There's something wrong with the people, everybody. The problem is not SARS. It is the average man on the street. When you carry one of them, put, give him power, he becomes an oppressor. For those who don't know what SARS is, special anti-robbery squad. They've been accused of all kinds of atrocities. Now, it is not them. That is those people. It's not just them. It is all of us. It is a society. The people shouting answers tomorrow, make him a member of SARS. Nothing will change. That is, you see all those people making noise. That's why they say uh, uh, revolution now. All those people that go protesting. I never trusted them one bit. Most people who talk, we are not the ones oppressing people. That's what the problem is. Once we are the ones oppressing, everything is okay. But what, once we are the ones being oppressed, we start shouting. There are very few people that actually hate oppression. There are very few. Most people who shout are only shouting because they are the oppressed. They don't hate the concept of oppression. What is dissatisfying them is that they are the oppressed currently. So I look at our country of today. I'm a Christian, first of all. I'm a Nigerian, second. <laughs> you get my point. So I have passion for the country. I look, talk to the average person. There's no reason why we should be blessed this much. Thank God it doesn't count on everybody. It counts on the remnants. And my preaching is also to, always to the remnants. I don't care about the average, because you can't convince them. But for those who claim to belong to the Lord, for those who say they are the Lords, they are the ones I try to instruct. That if God has enough of us living according to his light, he will transform the environment. He will. For our sake. It's called the salt of the earth principle. David Paulson quoted that they did a study and they said it requires like 5%. Now, the figure is not Bible, but it's from a, 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 a spiritually wise person. To give an idea that it's not even everybody, but that 5% is critical. 
It's critical. Out of a million, at least you be able to find 50,000 who are working in righteousness. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sticking with the 5%, but I want to let you know that I'm preaching to the remnant. The average person on the street, milk, that's what they believe in. And you see, it's very typical of them. If God prospers them, they develop America. That's the way they are. They, no, that's the how, you see, no, think about it. You see somebody struggling, struggling, struggling. Within the country, he makes money. Within the country, he gets a fantastic job. He does a business. He, in fact, someone was telling about one man who won awards doing some work. You know, government recognized him. International people recognized him. You know how he paid back. He moved his wife and children and moved them to North America. Then, look at wickedness. Then you come back here, work for money, then export the money to take care of the family. The people are not givers. They are extractors. They just want to take the best they can out of the system. They complain, but that's when, not, when it's not in their favor. One reason, and listen, thank God for this current government. Some of the things that they did, people complained, tired, complained, tired. They needed to do it. They needed to do it. If you, let me not say something, let me not lose people. If I give you my own strategies, economic strategies, if you're making president today, eh, the first one here, you will hate my soul, I can assure you. Some of the things I will do. Listen, look, let's not get into economic because based on my understanding of the principles of life, if you know some of the economic things I will put in place, the first one year, you will hit me. The second year, you will get used to me. The third year, you will be watching me. It will take like the fourth, fifth year for you to start seeing the reward. Look at when Nigeria blocked you know, the borders and said, no, you are not bringing anything across that, that land because of, like, like Ali Kodangute said, that we have this particular neighboring country. Let me not mention it which you all know anyway, that no country prospers with envy your neighbor. Federal government said, eh, just, till now, they close that border. People say, eh, eh, but it is, it comes from really, at least, majority is not coming again. Did we know that COVID was going to come? When they did that, they forced production to increase locally. Was that not what we survived on during COVID, COVID lockdown? The average person wants to just take his own part before everything collapses. That, that's, that's the average person's mentality. So what I just keep asking myself is that, so when I see the amount of, ble- listen, I, I've told you before about what they call dark matter. If you read about science, they say most of the mass in our universe is what they call dark matter. What do you mean by dark matter? What they just simply means is something that's out there, there are two, there's, there's dark matter and dark energy. Most of the energy out there is dark energy. Most of the matter there is dark uh, uh, matter. What does it mean? Matter they cannot see. Material they know is just the energy they can't really see directly, cannot detect directly, but they know it's out there. How did they come to that um, conclusion? That's what I want to bring out. It's because they will say, five times five as an example, it's supposed to be what? 25. Then they will start, they will now put five out there, put five out there, five times, which is five times five, they, they, they calculate it, it comes to 65, 60. They say, no, no, it's supposed to be 25. So they will do the experiment 10 times. Ten times you constantly come out at, at 60. So after a while, they say something else is adding to it. So they call it what? Dark energy or dark matter. You can go and read up about it. All the observations and calculations are always wrong. <laughs> so by the time they factor, they say, okay, most of the things out there we can't see. We can't test. We can only detect by the effect they have on the things that we can test and see. Now, this is where I'm going. Most of the blessings are around. In, in Nigeria as a nation today, is dark blessing. Now, I don't mean satanic blessing, no. I'm trying to say is that we can't explain it based on human behavior. Because people think that it's bad management that's our problem. It's not. 
is wickedness. Is wickedness. People will say, we want constant power, we want constant power. Then they install air conditioners in their house, in their homes, but find a way to bypass power to the AC, which we all know is usually the single most powerful consumer of electricity in the home. It's not as heavy as your iron or your, or your heating element, but because you use it for, you can leave it on for 12 hours at a stretch. People don't want to pay. So I tell Christians, if you behave like that, you are killing, whether you are caught or not, spiritually, you are depleting the economy. If you can't pay for it, switch off the AC, open your windows, and use a fan. The fan consumes less than 10%. What is 10%? Less than 5% of the power. Heat will not kill you. I hope you get my point. Just have a bath before you go to lie down at night. Put on your fan. You will sleep well. The same people will come out, go and be present on the street. Revolution now. You know, God is looking at them. Those of you without a stone, without sin, cast the first stone against corruption. Everybody runs away. They don't believe in paying taxes. And they always justify it with things like, eh, if we pay now, they will eat the money. If you don't pay now, they will do nothing. So everybody remains at a standstill. Listen, if you see this country developing, eh, be giving thanks. The people are too wicked. And there is this attitude you see in them. And in fact, Pastor Craig and I talked to, uh, today, some things that led to it. <laughs> we just like say human beings. Human beings have this attitude. You know, I'm talking about the winner's attitude. The giving attitude. That's what I'm talking about. This is the loser's attitude. The taker's attitude you find in life. You go to a family. Everybody just believes that somebody will solve the problem. Especially when it's a large family. There is a problem. What we need to do in this family is to remove this building. Bring your money before you talk. You know, there are talks. Let me ban you from talking if you are not bringing money. You just assume, it's like when the people, many people are there, just assume somebody else is solving the problem. In the country, somebody else will fix the issues. The average person today, listen, for, forget the big men in APC or PDP, we're in the PDP state, okay? So I, forget those big people. I'm talking about the small, small people. The average one of them is going in there to see what he can collect. Remember the, the chief talk of those states? What was his complaint against the governor? He doesn't want anything to fall on ground. Forget the English. <laughs> I wanted to took POS to the market. What's wrong with taking POS to the market? Is it not for development? No. There's nothing that will fall on that is for him. Governance is about something for he forget that this is money for development. You know, he said it must fall on the ground. When we're praying for them that I say anybody who's pushing all these things for personal gain, go frustrate them. That was the kind of prayer I prayed for that state. You cannot explain. I've looked around our country. They say roads are bad. I said that there are roads to be bad in the first place. We will have to worship. The development we enjoyed for a long time in this kind of in, in a country like this was God's blessing that He gave to the British to come and give to us. They put a lot of things on ground. Once they left, people say that things were better in the sixties. I said yes, they were better in the sixties. In the fifties, why? You were not the ones running it. Once they get to the descendants of Ham, they became their servant of servant attitude took everything. Put them in power is for their own gain. When I look around, they say countries bad. I say better be thankful. The country is blessed. Let me tell you the truth. There's a special blessing God. That's what I'm talking about. Dark energy, dark blessing. 
There's a blessing over this nation that you can't account for by the behavior of the average people. So when they tell you don't pray, don't, don't mind them. That prayer is the reason why this, some good things are happening. Continue praying. Don't be discouraged. You are fighting something that is so strong. The reason why we are still at this level is prayer. If you look at the attitude of the average person, forget. should be far worse than this. Was there a side of Jeremiah that said it? Were it not that God has showed us mercy, would have been like Sodom, would have been like Gomorrah. That's what we're experiencing. We create a negative climate because inside our hearts, we wicked people all over the place. But let me sit on my message, please. Talk about the, the salt of the earth, the remnants of God. People that God has placed inside there. Listen, let me tell you something about the believer. If you want, let's talk about nation now. You want the nation to be blessed, eh? You have to follow Jesus Christ, collect his garment, wear it, and go to the cross. Did you hear what I said? If you are not ready for the cross, forget it. God cannot use to bless anywhere. What do I mean? That is, you must not love your life even until death. And we are talking, that is, there are times you will, this, look, I want to create a positive atmosphere around me. So you see, you will reject opportunity for material progress to hold on to faith. That time you just say, they said, give this person this bread. We are not giving. Close the business down. You are going into an office. You swear ahead of time. Even the money that's legitimately mine, I'm not taking. You know what God said, um, what Abraham said to God? Lead me in this battle. I'm not doing it for money because people used to fight, you know, to gain something from battle. Lead me in this battle, Lord. Give me victory. And I say something to you. I will not take even if it's a thread, sandal, rope to tie your shoe, lace. (laughs) That's what I was looking for. I won't even take a lace of shoe from that battle when I come back. That was a a vow that Abraham made to God before he went to battle. And of course he won. And when he came, King of Sodom was speaking the English he was speaking. Abraham said, forget that thing. He said, okay, give me the people back. Give me the souls, the human beings. You can take all the goods. Abraham said, you think I came to fight for goods? I came to rescue my, my cousin, my nephew, and his family. As for your goods, you can have everything back. Have everybody back. Have the goods. The only thing you find missing are the portion of the people that went with me. They don't have my faith, so they have to take their own spoils of war. So those ones took. But Abraham left there as, at the same material level as he went in. Those are, the, those are the kind of, listen, let me tell you, in life, eh, you get to a point. God will bless you a point. You will start a new business with a vow that if you make every dime I make is going to charity. That's what I mean by following Jesus to the cross. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Until you have people like that all over the place. He says, hey, the place is not going anywhere. It's not, we'll just be sustained. You know? Road is good today, go bad tomorrow. Good today, bad tomorrow. Good today, bad tomorrow. We all survive. But to transform, you need the Jesus Christ who are going to the cross, who are not loving their lives even when faced with death. They are just winners, givers in their hearts, who understand that I was sent to this earth to go and to make something happen. The most important thing in life is what you are making happen, not what you are enjoying. You know what I said? It's what you are making happen, not what you are enjoying. The average person is looking for work. Who will pay me more? Not who can I, where, where can I make a change? Where can I make a difference? 
How can I impact people? No, they're not thinking about it. The most important thing in life is what you are making happen. It's not what you are enjoying. And that is why people who commit crimes, thieves and people like that, they are such a negative. That's why the Bible says there's a curse. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the thief. Because they are the exact opposite of people making positive things happen. Somebody will make something happen, you go and ruin it. You discourage him. You make him feel bad. A man will labor morning till night. Then you stay and steal what he labored for. Therefore, the curse, the curse of the Lord is in your house. And for those who are in power also, it affects them. Not just small, small thieves on the road. I hope you get my point. If you are a thief in Abuja, the curse of the Lord is in your house. If you are the one by the roadside, the curse of the Lord is in your, wherever you are hiding. Why? Because it's what positive thing somebody is making happen. That is the definition of life. So those who make it a point to make negative things happen, the curse of the Lord is in their house. What am I trying to emphasize? So what do we do? We build up the positive spiritual atmosphere around us. We kill unbelief. God wants to bless people. A major reason why he has not been able to bless them is because of unbelief. Unbelief, this person is not helping me. The environment I am in will not let me prosper. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Nobody makes it, nobody becomes rich in this life, ah, except they have done something terrible. Do you get my point? Ah, Dangote is only rich because the government is helping him. You know, some people say some things, nobody are de- declaring, government shall not help me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, nobody will help me. I will remain poor. And then by the time they are, they are poor old men, they are still telling stories. Oh man, those rich people. Government help them. Your teeth are gone. You are still telling stories you told 60 years ago. The Lord is good. What I was supposed to do, kill off unbelief, build a positive atmosphere around us. Let me just remind us of the kind of faith we must have in our hearts. First of all, bear it in mind, we said this before, I'm just recapping it, trying to make some progress. One, we have been redeemed. Somebody say amen. amen. I've said this many times, I can't say it enough. You are not inferior in any way. Look, you know the truth, eh? Let me tell you something. You've heard all this uh, racism, racism, racism. You know it doesn't bother me. You've heard me say it before. If a white man is, is, he thinks I'm inferior to him, it's his brain that's not working. Do you get my point? Me, I'm normal. He's the one that has a problem. He, can't, he, can't, he cannot positively assess something properly in life. But why, do, why it doesn't bother me is that human beings are like that generally. The ones that are not racist, they are tribalists. The ones that are not tribalists are villagists. Are you getting my point? Within, within the same tribe, they are statists. I live in eastern Nigeria. I have seen discrimination between Enugu and Anambra. That is... You see it in such a manner, you, racism starts making a lot of sense. You know, Jesus said something as a prophetic word. If, it was an, if, if, if an enemy has done this, it would have been okay. But these are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So there's a kind of discrimination that if a white man gives to you, you can understand. But when a fellow black man, fellow Nigerian, fellow Easterner, ah, where do we call the light? He said, we are not from the same state. The wounds with which I've seen people wounded in the, in the houses of their Tribesmen. <laughs> Just that doesn't bother me. Then I was thinking within the same state. I saw that one. I couldn't believe it. I can give you the gist. That's old gist. That's how human beings are. That is how human beings are. It's only when they have a common enemy that they unite. Once there's no common enemy, their differences will just grow all of a sudden. Sprout wings. Blossom. I've seen it. That is why I have never felt any anger personally against white people. It's not possible. Human beings are just like that. After all, the white man never came to Africa to raid slaves. Never did. 
he still stood on the shores to buy. Did you hear what I said? Who raided the slaves? Umuleri will go to Aguleri and collect. Is that not so? Is that, is that not how we do it? You will see people from maybe Ekiti jump into and collect and run back and go and say to the whites. That's what, it was the black people that took fellow black people, bound them, kept them in dungeons till the whites arrived and sold them. Why do we keep on shouting against the whites? It's just convenience. Instead of us to look up to God and ask for blessing, it's convenience. Why did I go into that story anyway? But when you see the white man discriminating against the black man, he has his reason. Look, we can try to be proud and black and proud, which is a sign of inferiority. You get my point? Inferiority in the mind. In black, I'm not black and proud, I'm just black. Are you getting my point? Nothing about it. Have you ever heard a white man say I'm white and proud? I'm just black. I'm not proud of anything. I'm just me. Proud for what now? If we say promote our culture, I say, oh, no, this inferiority complex matters. Make up your mind. What, favor, what is good? If, if the white man's own is better, take it. Don't say it's our culture. It's the one that makes me laugh, and Christians will be angry. They want to return beneath bronze to Venice. But I leave those idols in Europe. That's why their children are going crazy. They came, <laughs> they came collected the gods we don't want to worship, and we are fighting for them back. Who wants your egungu? <laughs> you get my point. Carry the old mask. Keep it there. We don't want. Anyway, the Lord is good. What I'm going to say is this. They had their reasons. If we're not following pride matters, you will see what much have we as a group, black people now as an example, contributed to development and things that we are using right now. We are sitting on chairs here. The technology to produce them. Where did we import them from? We imported them. I hope you're getting my point. Look, we may, we may shout, eh, eh, they, they are discriminating. They had their reasons. When they came, they, they didn't have any story building the whole continent. You couldn't build higher than the ground floor. Let me tell you, and you think they will treat you as equals? They just tolerate you. This is where I'm going, please. I've said it many times, there's a reason for that. There's always been a reason. But that reason has been broken in Christ Jesus. Right now, you and not inferior to anybody. Why? Because henceforth we know no man after the flesh. What we know is that if anyone is where? In Christ. So now that you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You, can, you have the knowledge of witty inventions. You can produce anything. If Christ dwells in you, just bear that in mind. There is nothing you can't do. Have that thought. Believe it. Know it. It's a matter of fact. If Christ dwells in you, there is nothing you can't do. The reason for somebody to look down on you has been removed. And listen to me, because faith has sacrifices. Are you getting my point? Realize that what God did for you, he didn't do for you alone. He did for everybody. True of us? So you also cannot look down on anybody. I don't want to spread bad news about people. But in private conversations, I will say some things. There's a very famous man in the world, known for, to have fought you know, he's idolized, worshipped. White, blacks, Asians, you know. Which other group do we have on this earth? Arabs. And anyway, purple, green, yellow, all kinds of colors of human beings. 
They worship him. Then recently, I read some things about him. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't too, okay, it was new, but it wasn't, it wasn't shocking. He fought the, the white supremacy idea. I want freedom for a lot of people. Except that while doing that, he always looked at black people as inferior to himself. Did you hear that? When I read it, I just laughed. So that's human means for you. You are worshipping a man who's only fighting because the whites were oppressing him. But he saw nothing wrong with him oppressing other people. I tell you, a lot of people who fight, their fight is just because they are victims. If the tables were turned, they would do exactly what the oppressor is doing to him, to them. For us believers, people of faith, your freedom is only in Christ. And except you recognize that Christ in everyone, he's not effective in your life. So every culture that looks down at anybody, you have to reject it. You have to understand that if anyone is in Christ, that fellow also is what? A new creature. Paul said, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. That is the natural descent. Who are his ancestors? We don't, that's not what we care about. And it is a lie to tell you that, uh, you know, Jews are specially blessed where Christians are standing. Where Christians are standing. You are insulting the blood of Jesus. Listen, we believe these things. That's the first thing we put in our hearts, you understand, as spiritual foundation. That's the first thing we put in our hearts as spiritual foundation. You have been redeemed. Somebody say amen. I said it before, curses are real. Just that in your life, that's not what's working. Remember, we are building the right internal climate. Next point, just to remind us of a few things. Remember, poverty is not a sign of spirituality. It can be a stage in life. It can be a testing of your faith. There are people who are poor because of curses. That is a matter of fact, but it's not at all a sign of spirituality. Realize that God wants all your needs supplied. And he wants them supplied in such a manner that you have an abundance for every good work. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, you having all sufficiency in all things, and then you can do what? Super abound unto every good work. That is the will of God. We must bear that in mind. Another thing we should remember, very important, we said that today, I just want to remind us because I, I, I noted it down, is that we are, when we're talking about prosperity, abundance, we are not, we are channels, we are not destinations. Did you hear what I said? God gave, best, uh, gave a blessing to Abraham. Why? In, in, which, in what manner? He said, you'll be blessed. What's the next line? You'll be a blessing. God does not terminate his blessing with anybody. He expects to be a flu through you. That's the way he is. The blessing does not terminate with you. Whatever position you find yourself in, ask yourself, what blessing am I supposed to be? If you are marrying a wife, you are supposed to be a blessing to her. You are getting married to a husband, you are supposed to be a blessing to him. You have children, you are a blessing to them. You have friends, you are a blessing to them. Do you know the truth? After a while, nobody wants your company. If they are the ones blessing you all the time, they get tired. It's an unconscious thing, they don't try it. They don't deliberately do it. And everybody has a way by which they can bless somebody else. Do you know that? Some people look and say, ah, this person is rich. I am poor. 
You are deceiving yourself. You are, you are claiming nonsense. Do you get my point? You're claiming nonsense. There's nobody that's so rich that does not need something from somebody else. Any relationship you are in, ask yourself, how can I be a blessing? You cannot be a collector, a taker. Everything ends with you. No. As Christians, as believers, we must bear that in mind. In every relationship, I must be what? A blessing. There are different ways. I'm talking about the winner's attitude, the giver's attitude. That's winning attitude inside the heart of somebody. In life, you just have to, that is, every day, I must be a blessing to somebody. I'm talking about creating what? A spiritual climate. How can I be a blessing to somebody? It's very important. We must bear that in mind all the time. So, we are a channel of divine blessings. Remember, even when we are doing what you call business, your business is supposed to conduct blessing. Let me just take my time because there's some things I want to explain. Your business is supposed to conduct a blessing into the environment. If it's, not, it's not a way of making money. I'll get that, to that in a moment because you must understand that God, this is God's order. This is God's plan. He doesn't need you to do anything special for him to meet all your needs. Let me explain what I'm going to say. Don't misunderstand me. God does not expect his creatures to do anything special for him to meet their needs. How do I know? Jesus told us that. Did he not? Let's read that clearly. So that it will be that we read the scripture. We have not even read anyone today. I have just been doing all the talking. Matthew chapter 6. Quickly. Matthew chapter 6. He said, for this reason I say to you. Do not be worried about your life. Okay, I mean verse 25. Verse 25. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. That's why I'm reading this. That they do not what? Read it now. They do not nor reap nor gather into bands. Did you notice that? They don't work. And yet your heavenly father does what? Feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. Now, these are people that don't grow, you know, they don't... um, they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't harvest, they don't prepare clothing. Yet the dressing the Lord puts upon them was be- is better than what Solomon had. He said, but if, so, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? That is, the reason why we are supplied for is because of our faith. The reason why we have provisions is because of faith. And what is faith in this particular context is lack of worry. Birds don't worry. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> he said, do not worry then. See what I'm saying? Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? He said in verse 32, that's a portion of Gentiles, not of the children of God. He said, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For you, your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows that you need all these things. So what, what is your assignment in life? 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It is not based on work, really, that God provides for his children. That's a matter of fact. If you see the animals, like the Bible says it clearly, like now. So when the bird goes out, he goes to go and pick what God has provided. It comes to them naturally. Our activities in life is for seeking the establishment of God's kingdom. So, listen, we're talking Christianity here. We're talking Christianity. Let me tell you, don't run up and down looking for money, looking for provision, looking for how you'll be sustained, especially when it comes to the future. There's a lie people tell all the time, all right? As I hear somebody say, where was I? Okay, was this journey I I went, all right? We're discussing. And the host pastor said, listen, all these things are lies. They say, we are doing this for the children. People get involved in worries. They say, we are doing it for the children. What are you doing for the children? We don't know what tomorrow we hold. When do you think? <laughs> I mean, I feel like exploding. What insult? You see a man and his wife, they will separate themselves, subject themselves to unnecessary, needless, you know. David Paulson teaches about gambling. He said gambling is a generation of unnecessary risk. He was trying to compare insurance with gambling. That when you pay insurance premiums, or when you insure something, you are mitigating against natural risk. Do you follow my point? So that's what insurance tackles. Say, but gambling, your money was not at risk until you bet. <laughs> so he said gambling is ungodly. People generate unnecessary risk. Now, that's an aside, just to pick that word, unnecessary risk, from what every person taught. People generate on needless temptation. You are earning good money. You live in a relatively peaceful environment. If you don't, if you don't read newspapers, you don't know anything bad is happening. Do you, you know there are things like that. Your children are going to schools where they can learn anything. Anybody learn anywhere in the world? The man will not carry. Some of those men are liars. They want to womanize. They will export the woman and the children. It says for the children and the woman will foolishly believe it. Your husband is 35, he's 40. And he's exporting you to go and live somewhere far away from home for the children. Are you, both of you, are you normal? Listen, adultery is still a sin. God kills people for it. Did you hear what I said? Oh, let me say it. You know what Jesus said? I feel like I'm talking to somebody. And the person is not here. <laughs> you know what Jesus said? If your right hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? If your eye causes you to stumble, what do you do? Pluck it out. Now, this is what I say all the time. Did it mean you literally cut your hand? You can't say no, because he said it. This is how I answer it. I don't know. The only reason why I say I don't know, even though he said it, is that he used to talk in hyperboles also. No, Jesus used to use hyperboles. For example, he would say, you... you you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Nobody literally swallows a camel. He was just trying to explain that you, you neglect the weightier matters of the law. And you are trying to say who tightened on the vegetable. So the ugu you plucked yesterday, have you sent the tithe to church? Like one man said, the whole tithe. Sarant nonsense. That's where I'm going. So Jesus said that. But this is why I understand it. That Jesus said, take drastic measures so you don't stumble. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Did you hear what I said? 
take drastic measures so you do not stumble. Because he judges sin. I can understand it. Young man, young woman will strategize to see the wife twice in a year. Are you okay? Some men, women will say, I trust my husband. I agree with you, but must you torture him? Because of trust. Yeah, you trust him, so he therefore should be subjected to torture. The amount of madness we get involved in, only God will deliver us. This I'm going to, this is what I'm going to, why I went to all of that. They now say, it is for what? The future of the children stop telling lies. The God that made you can make them. I talk about needless. Let's get into, let's know when some temptations in quotes are necessary. One of them says that when we are making serious decisions, so that the consequences we have to strive to overcome them. Some of those things we say, I said, top 10 lies. There's no, look, look, there's no risk. Forget this. God can take care of this children. All of you stay in my house watching each other. How can we be future for your children? You're not there to be a father to them. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So who will be their father? Don't be stupid. Or if neighbors, you left, you, you met. What is wrong with people? Oh, father by Skype. If you don't like me, you can log out. I'm trying to save those who listen to me. And let it be that you heard a voice of reason. What's the point I was making? What God expects from us is take away worry from our hearts. Anytime we are making decisions or make, taking actions, is for the establishment of his kingdom. Because what really, what his plan is, is that he supplies our needs. He does. He does. He does. However, sometimes we are disciplined. Now, follow what I'm about to say, because I want to explain something. I wanted to compare the, the issue of divine assignment with divine provisions. So God says something like this. Even though I can provide for anybody, Provision is not based on your own effort. I can make Elijah stay in his, you know, in his desolate land, in a brook, and make ravens bring food to him. I can rain manna in the wilderness. I, I hope I get my point. But I gave man a duty. I said to him at the beginning, cultivate the earth and keep it. So when you move into the promised land, you have to beautify the place. Just for your information, this is an aside. This is an aside. Hmm? Beautify your environment is divine assignment. Did you hear what I said? Start walking out of your house with bathroom slippers when you have nice sandals that can make you look nice. There are people in heaven are fine. Okay, now, no? People in heaven, what did I say? They are fine. They look nice. They don't look jaga jaga. Arrange your house. What did I say? Arrange your house. Put things in order. Try your best. Every Life will scatter it. Then you put it back in order. Sometimes I enter hotel rooms. I say, ah, why can't my bedroom look like this? I say, ah, because you are living in your bedroom. That is why. So the things will scatter. Then my wife will get up and put order back to it. It will scatter over the next... When we keep on putting other back to that, you know why? It's divine assignment. Say, cultivate it and keep it. Make it look nice. 
It's one of the cultures, you know, that people who are blessed, they learn. When, I, when apartheid ended in South Africa, um, whites began to mix with blacks. They could not stay in any neighborhood. One of the ways you knew black neighborhoods that they are alone is always scattered. You know, Oyibo man will, on Sunday, he will cut trim to him. is necessary. He's not rich. Just that to him is a culture. He has to look nice. It's one culture we all have to learn. Keep your environment neat. Make things tidy. Iron your shirt. Stop saying nobody's looking at me. God is looking at you. You're looking like you're the only one that has problems in this life. Straighten this thing for goodness sake. I hope you're getting my point. Wash your face. Use a bit of makeup. It's ungodly not to use. Some people are not using. The ones that are saying it. Did the Bible not say anoint your face? You think it means to rub olive oil? Listen, I'm not, not, none of them is evil. Are you getting my point? But if you have to choose one, use it. Just by the way, don't look like you are lost. Some women, they are going on the road. You see the eyelashes in front. They are still here. <laughs> it's crazy. The eyelashes are the junction. The girl is still here. When she blinks, you think a bird wants to take off. That's not what I'm saying. Some people look like Chinese doll. Balance is the key to life. Did you hear what I said? Balance is what? The key to life. Thank you. That's what I'm going to say. The Lord is good. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep natural hair, oil it, comb it, let it look nice. You understand what I'm saying? They look nice in heaven, no? Have you, ever, have you ever read the story of an angel that looks like he's coming out of hell? They always, they always describe them to you. The glory. The belt is like this. This one is, the sash is like this. This gold is here. That's not what you see. Ah. Derek Prince says that if you're always looking gloomy and dull, that you will attract demons. Derek Prince. So your appearance can affect demonic activity. It's what is called the oil of joy. Are you getting my point? She'll be seen on you for goodness sake. Put a smile. That's the most important, important decoration for your body. By the time you finish adorning your face, you can't come from. Everything will now look dead. See, 75%, no, 80, no, 90% of the appearance of your face is in your mouth. Smile. That's what I'm saying. So as they are going on the road, demons say, who go escort? Say this one. Why? You know the smile now. Put a smile. When somebody greets you, reflexly, good afternoon. Put a smile. You instantly become beautiful. I hope you're following me. It's, it's, it's crucial. It's crucial. People, you should, people should. Oh. Hmm. The Lord is good. I know what I was saying. So God said to them, cultivate it and what? And keep it. So dressing the field is part of divine assignment. It's important. When God blesses a place, he makes it look nice. So they were supposed to go into the garden, cultivate it, keep it. You know, arrange the flowers. I don't know why the Lord did it, but I just know what I believe. He could have made plants, you know, germinate, flourish without flowers. 
Why did he put the key inside their flowers? It's part of his attitude of beautifying things. Do you get my point here? I mean, if it was just pure function, it's not totally necessary. He can do it in another way, but he put colors in the flowers, put everything to, to look nice. Then the breeze will be attracted. The whole thing is a symphony in heaven. They are watching and it makes God glad. It makes the angels glad. It makes the people of God glad. That's what I'm going. So God gave us this earth to cultivate and to keep. To put drains in certain places. Put roads there. Build our houses according to structure. Get the children ready in the morning. They file to school. They stand in assembly. They look like angels in heaven. They look good. It's God did it like that. So, when we are not involved in these activities, sometimes it makes us hungry so that we wake up. He could have provided food for nothing. So he said to Paul, whosoever will not eat a work, let him not eat. Deny him the provision that God has given. It's divine order. So that's what I'm going to say. So God can provide even though we're not doing anything. And he showed it to us by, with the birds of the field. The lions, once they began to eat other animals, God said, all right, I will supply your food. Have fun catching them. Do you get my point? How do I know? The Bible says that the lion gets up in the evening to go and take the food that the Lord has provided. It's scripture. What does that tell me? Then why does he have to chase it? It's part of the activities. That's how he gets his exercise. That's how God did However, there is no gazelle. There is no antelope. There is no roebuck. None that the lion or the lioness will catch except the Lord ordered it so. He supplies their food. I hope you're getting my point. What am I saying? So sometimes God tells us, get up. Go and walk. It is, listen to me, it is not for food. That was why Paul never said, Go and walk so you can have food. He was careful because he was tossed by the Lord directly. So Paul said, let him that is stealing, steal no more. But let him go and do what? Work. So that you have what? Something to share. He didn't say he has something to eat. Paul was so emphatic not to tie people's work to their feeding. He had to tie to other activities. And why did somebody who's stealing? Was he, is he, is he, this is what I think. He was not a normal thief. He's not somebody who's breaking into homes. He's all those people that will be using all kinds of methods to collect from people. All kinds of stories. Good afternoon, sir. I was just passing just now. I don't know what happened. My wallet just vanished. The, 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 the virtual person just entered my pocket. He removed the wallet and flew away. I don't know how I'm going to get home. You've heard those stories? I came from my back to come and see my auntie. And she's not at home. And I have to go back now. It's getting dark. And I was thinking my auntie would give me money. I've been calling her since morning. But her, auntie, her, her, her phone is off. How can you help me? You're a thief. You're not a beggar. What are you? A thief. It's another kind of thing some people do. They go and buy what they know they can't pay for. They can't pay. They go buy. Ah, madam. How much is the gold? I will pay you small, small. That one thing you're talking, you're talking to a normal person. You don't know saying a thief. So buy gold of 45,000 naira. Three years later, 
still fighting. After a while, you get tired of fighting. She knew you get tired. Oyoshi. Barao. Ole. Oh, they are all over the place. They are the kinds of people that Paul was talking about. They were not armed robbers. Because if they were, Paul would have been more direct in charging at them. They are subtle obtainers. Defrauding, taking advantage of the kindness of the brethren. So Paul said, listen, if you are like that, stop it. Go and be productive. That's Paul was emphasizing. Why? Productivity is an assignment from God. So he said, whosoever will not be productive, let him not eat. When he said that, what he meant is that in church they used to share food. They used to have communion services. They could finish meeting everybody. Let's gather together to eat. He said, anybody like that, don't let him eat. David Poston told a story once, which I found very interesting. <laughs> he said a young man visited him in the house. He said, this young man has a first degree, second degree. That is, he's always going to school, always studying this, studying that, studying that. Doesn't agree to work. Didn't take a job, nothing. So that day, he said he knew the young man was hungry when he came to visit him. And his food was being served. So yeah, the young man kept on talking, talking, talking. <laughs> After a while, the young man said, are you not going to eat? The person said, yes, I'm going to eat. I'm just waiting for you to go. <laughs> he said, I'm just waiting for you to leave. When you leave, I'm going to eat. The man said, oh, I was kind of thinking about joining you. The person said, no, not in this house. He said, my Bible forbids me from giving you food. The young man was shocked. He said, look at you. You are a, you are a, you are a parasite in the society. All you have been doing... All your life is going to school. You finish one course, start another one. Other people are paying. Government is paying. Everybody else is paying. He said, listen to this. He said, when will you start contributing to society? He said, whosoever will not work, let him not eat. So you can't eat in my house. I'm sorry. So the young man got up and left. And some months later, he came back to visit the person. I said, you can give me food now. <laughs> it didn't take offense. He learned a lesson. And the person said, oh, you're welcome. Allowed him in, and they sat down together and ate. The young man took instruction from that rebuke. He went and got a job. Why does God do that? That's what I'm talking about. Why does the Lord do that? He just wants us to be responsible. He said, I gave you this earth to cultivate and to keep. If you are not cultivating it and keeping it, I will deny you of resources, even though they are free. For Christians, he doesn't link your food with your you know, like you walk so you can eat. For him, he supplies your food as a child of his. He said, however, I withhold it deliberately to stir you up to responsibility. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The birds of the air, that's what they are doing. That's what he's saying. How do they seek the, they seek the kingdom of God? They just do their own activity, which is fly around, sing songs, beautify the air, poop on your car, <laughs> you pack your cafe, <laughs> wash it, they all put one white and black paste. They've done it to me before I finished. <laughs> I was going to Badon for exam. So I rose up early in the morning because I had to get to the park. I didn't have a car, of course. I had to get to the park, get to take a bus, and then get to Badon to UCH. It was up very early. 
four, by four, I was awake, getting ready. Five a.m., left my house. So I was walking on the sidewalk. I just felt something warm. <laughs> on my head, on my face, down to my shirt. I looked, I look up, say, come down first. <laughs> if not so you fish it, come down first. I leave money, I said. I decided to look on the bright side. They have a superstition in Western Nigeria. That if you burn shit on your head, you'll be rich. I said, this one is prophetic. <laughs> I'm going to pass my exam. The Lord is good. So the person they are doing their own thing. That's what they say. They are just doing their own thing, moving around. And God supplies their food. And what he's saying to his own children this morning, uh, this evening, is get up every day and do what I have commanded. Find out the commandment. There are general commandments. There are specific commandments for each individual. But each is to find what the Lord has commanded each day. But the world has confused us. Go to school, study this course so you can get this kind of job and become rich. That's not divine order. Why should we educate our children? Education is part of growing up. Why should we be educated? It's part of living. Have you ever talked to ignorant people? They are horrible to converse with. Horrible. In the United States of America, they made education compulsory for one reason. You know what that reason is? So that the people can be governed. They said people who are not educated are not governable. That we cannot exist in a democracy. We cannot exist in a society if people are not educated. So it's universal Basic education, whether you have money or not, whether you are an immigrant or not, whether you are illegal or legal, you must go to school. Because if you don't go to school, you can't read the constitution. If you don't go to school, you can't do your taxes. If you don't go to school, you will not be able to engage. A politician will confuse you. You will not be able to vote effectively. You just vote, say, is he our brother? Yes. Where did I, where did I put you? Put. Then the Mugun becomes the governor. He say you will not be governable if we do not have you educated. I'm just using that to illustrate something. In fact, I had one particular... You know, let me not go there, all right? Anyway, just, let me just add it. In a particular state, their own law was that before you come to school, you must be able to read and write. So where are you supposed to learn it from? Your parents. So the law was that the father and the mother would teach the child to read and write. So be able to do A, B, C, D, to, you know, all those kind of things. Read simple words. Be able to write before you enroll. If you see them, they start school very late. I think the age of six is when you're allowed to go to school. I, who knows the correct age? I think it's six, right? Yeah. Before that, you don't come to school. You know, here, from day one and a half, <laughs> yeah, in school. So our children actually learn very fast. But their own reason, they were not thinking that the children can learn early. But they expected by the time you're coming, you should have learned the basics. So from the time you're three, four, you're already counting A, B, C, you learn to write. By the time you come to school, it's not when they will be holding your pen. For you again. You should be able to just independently follow. Alright? But I'm trying to say something here. Education is a fundamental part of growing up. It's something we must all do. It's not about becoming rich in life. It's just about being alive. It's just about being alive. One young man said something. I stumbled into it on a news report many years ago. And I was so impressed. A student in Unilag. They were talking about Nigeria. That uh, education of these people don't get jobs. And he said no. That people shouldn't get it wrong. I don't know where he learned it from. But he learned it properly. 
young, young guy, he was a student in the University of Lagos. He said, no, the people should understand that education is not for getting a job. Education is an end. It's not a means to an end. It's an end in itself. They were supposed to be educated so that we can be educated. It's not so we can get a job. That after you are educated, then you can go and decide what you want to do with your life. I said, this young man, whoever taught you this, taught you well. So we're not educating ourselves so we can get a job. We're not educating our children so that one day they'll be rich. We're educating them because they have to be human beings. They have to be able to survive in life. They have to be. If they are not educated, they are at a severe disadvantage in life generally. I'm talking about just doing divine purpose. So, we must be educated. If you don't, you're not educated, how do you read your Bible? One of my aunties, many years ago, 30 years ago now, no, more than that, close to 40 years, she didn't go to school as a child and all of that. She was an adult, I mean. So she joined a church, and the first thing they did was to take all of them through adult education for one simple purpose, so they can read their Bibles. All people that joined, they start teaching you. I mean, these were middle-aged women and men. They did crusade. You gave your life to Christ. You were baptized. Next assignment, school. <laughs> I still remember one day we visited, and she was there, you know. And the only thing they are teaching you to read your Bible. They will teach you until you can hold a Bible and read it all by yourself. That's their, that's their assignment. I think it's gospel faith mission. I mean, that, that's real ministry. I, I forget my point. That's real ministry. Real ministry. Teach you so you can read your Bible. So in life, you cannot function except you're educated. You have to be informed. You have to know what's going on around so you can pray effectively. I'm talking about doing God's kingdom. Doing His righteousness. So you train your children not for the purpose of being rich, but for the purpose of what? Simply being educated. Then as they grow in life, they will discover the work of God for them. Each person has work. Don't let the society teach you that, hey, my son must be a doctor, must be an engineer, must be a lawyer, must be this, this, they must not be a software engineer because they are the ones, you know, hammering big time now. There was a time, J.J. Okocha and Kano Wanko almost confused young people. Are people still confused these days? Or, 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 the, the, things have been normalized. Before, because before the days of J.J. Okocha and Co., footballers were making money, but <laughs> it was J.J. Okocha and Co. that suddenly was realized that, man, this Robert thing, eh, he gave money inside. One day we calculated what Kano was being paid in a week. Yeah. The most senior doctor in Nigeria will have to work for like 10 years <laughs> to earn what this guy was getting in a week or a month. That is not of playing, no, of even being injured and sitting on the bench. After that young boy said, we know they go to school. We think I don't know. <laughs> but that's not the aim. That's not the aim. Each person has his own assignment in life. We are educated so we can do the purpose of God for our lives. But as we are doing it, whatever it might be, he supplies our needs. Now, it's not tied to what we do. That's one thing the Lord has taught me personally. It's not. Just be faithful. Then he releases a lock that held back his blessing because we are being unfaithful. I hope you're getting my point. So we get around in life doing our businesses. Everybody must be busy. There is no room for idleness in Christianity. What did I say? There's no room for idleness. Everybody must be busy. We don't all have to be busy doing the same thing. One of the ways you insult Christ is to tell his preachers to go and find a job. 
Do you hear what I said? There are people who just get up and say, preachers, you go and walk. Why should we give them offerings? If you don't give an offering, if you don't give a preacher an offering, you don't respect his Jesus. Your Jesus too. You don't. I know there are a lot of crazy people out there that do all kinds of strange things in ministry. But somebody who labors in word and in doctrine, you can't open your mouth and say it's not working. There's a way people just insult God. God, you're looking at you. They say, Paul was walking. I said, where did you see that? Where did you read that lie from? As if Paul had a job. Where did you read it? Paul told you occasionally he gets to a place. Then to set an example for the people. And so that they will not think he came to collect their money. He will, be, he will join some people who are making tents and make it. And God, when Timothy arrives, he abandons it. Timothy and Co. will not be doing that. Why he goes to preach? People will just paint it as if Paul had a, he was a civil servant. Working for Rome. Nonsense. That is so, it was an occasional thing. He says examples. And then for goodness sake, is Paul the only person you saw in your Bible? The Jesus of Nazareth. Where did you see? Which work was he doing? Apart from preaching. Say so was a capital. Before he started ministry. Wake up. Before he started ministry. What about the apostles? Remove Paul. James. John. Peter. None of them bought and sold. None of them made things. They did not fish one day after the resurrection. Listen. I'm going to emphasize something here. Everybody must be what? Busy. And I tell preachers, preaching is preaching, though. It's not sleeping. Do you follow my point? Because I've seen preachers say they are doing full-time ministry. Monday, he's asleep. Tuesday, he's asleep. Wednesday, he, pre- he preaches small. Thursday, he's asleep. Saturday, he's asleep. Sunday, he preaches small in the morning. I say, hey, bros, you are working four hours a week. That will not be work. That one is not work. You can't be working four hours a week. You tell me you are working. Get up, preach. At least, on the average... Do like, uh, what is his name? <laughs> is it, not, not Charles Finney. What's the way? Um, John Wesley. He used to preach 21, hour, 21 times a week. Do you know what I said? Three times a day. Average. What's my point? This is my point. Everybody must be what? Busy. Raising children is work. Don't look down on the woman who's at home that has four children to care for. I said, she's not working. What is wrong with you? If she doesn't take care of those boys, you're going to have four, four, four extra arm robbers. Four extra boys cleaning your glass, telling you that God help me now. You're going to have four extra people. No, they asked the Pat Robertson, that's his wife. They are 50th, I think, other 50th anniversary of TBN of their marriage. So what have you done with your life? She said, I raised my four children. What did you contribute to society? Four well-raised children. And I understand that that's not a joke. It's not. I'm going to say people, everybody must be busy doing something. I need to emphasize that because there are some things we look down on. People will not go and quote me tomorrow. That Pastor Bank is anywhere and we're doing something and you're not doing anything. What nonsense? You are raising four children, you are doing something. No? If you are raising them well. But you are not doing anything if you send them off to Bunny House and you now sit down. For three months that they go, you are not doing anything. You are not doing anything. 
find serious work to do. <laughs> but I've seen, I've seen my wife handle children. It's work. It's, what did I say? It's work. The Lord is good. And of course, the other things we do. We farm. Remember, it's part of God. Now, those of you who have poultry farms, goat farms, go and keep the place nice looking. I hope you're getting my point. Uh-huh. It's work we do for God. Keep your poultry looking neat. If it's fish farm you are doing, do it properly. Put the anointing of God on everything you do. And please, pray for increase. It is abnormal not to grow. Pray for increase. It is wrong not to grow. Why? He said, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. That's what he said. It's divine order from the beginning. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Please, it is not righteousness to say there's nothing I'm looking for in this life. You, you were not looking for anything. The chicken, they are not your own. They belong to the Lord. The machines you are using to making clothes, they are not your own. They belong to the Lord. The ovens are not your own. They belong to the Lord. Be fruitful. If anybody gives you a job, all right, it's very common in our country. Federal government employs a lot of people and make sure they don't have work to do. How they do that? You get to an office, he has three desks. He has seven employees. I tell Nigerians, enjoy it. What did I say? When, when by enjoying it? Use the rest of the time. Take it as if they are sponsoring your business. By paying you regular. Don't sit down there and cross your leg and be t- telling stories. Just because they will pay you at the end of the month. That's not godly. Use that time to invest in something else. We are running divine assignment here. Take everything you are doing as an assignment from the Lord. Be productive. Don't let anybody lie to them. What are you looking for? What are they always chasing? Self? What is a man need in this life? What is a woman? What's a woman looking for? I, I mean, this business. You know, you, have you heard this story before? Now, that statement is flat ungodly in the, in the context in which they say it. And that's how unbelievers who don't understand God, that's how they reason. They reason that everything you are doing is for yourself. Listen, right now in our country today, now you know one reason why government say retire at 60? 60. 60-year-old people are productive people. I hope you get my point. At 70, you are very wise. And if God keeps you healthy, you are, once you are, not, you are not doing manual labor, you are an experienced person. Paul Dutolas at 90 was investing. At the age of 98, before he died at the age of 99, Charles Towns was still teaching as a professor, teaching PhD students. No, was it in MIT Delta or University of California? Anyway, he was still teaching in university. And he was 98 years old, giving lectures in advanced physics. The reason why government says 60-year-old retires is because they want you to get out so that young people can have work. They don't think you are tired. They are just saying, mm, we have paid you for 30 years. You say, let somebody else work. What am I trying to emphasize from there? Don't let anybody make you redundant. Don't. It's not allowed. People say, what are you looking for? You have to be productive. Now, why I say that one is that, listen, in Nigeria today, I heard the other day, one of the ministers was saying that, that federal government can't employ people anymore. They don't have space. They don't have money. Most of federal government employment in Nigeria is pure socialism. It's welfare. It's uh, what they call it. It's social service. They don't need the service. They just employ people so they can pay. 
Now, where I was just going is that, so where will everybody else work? That's where I was going. I was trying to answer that question. So for those who tell you that something like, um, what are you looking for in life? I've heard, you know, remember we talked about poverty mentality, the way poor people reason. The only, the only reason from what I'm getting out of this, if you see a man start another company, they are thinking, what is he getting? If he says a second company, I've heard people say, this Dangote man is too greedy. He's already the richest man. Why is he building a refinery? The same person doesn't realize how that as at now, one-third of the amount of forex that Nigeria needs is for importation of refined products. Okay, let me say that now. As at least this figure was accurate as at two years ago. I'm not sure we have improved much. Edo State and some other states, Rivers, they've tried modular refineries and all of that to reduce. They don't, those modular refineries, I don't think they produce PMS, you know, high-grade PMS. I think they do mostly diesel and stuff like that. But make a long story short, most of the money we expend as a nation, talking about Forex, is to buy refined product, petrol, kerosene, AGO, stuff like that. Aviation fuel, all those kind of things. And somebody is telling you, what's Dangote looking for? Building a refinery. You know, you, you ask, what is wrong with you? you? You want to ask the fellow, are you normal? One day I was explaining to somebody that, listen, ah, that hopefully by this year, I think they push it to next year or later on in the year, the refinery will start. They say, he will not be slaves to that man. That was the only thing he had to say. I'm t- I, I tell you, when you see the amount of blessing around, you should be surprised we have that amount. And this is a businessman. For him, as far as he's concerned, this man is a northerner that wants to enslave us by building a refinery that would... I told him, you don't have to buy it. Import yours. That's how people, some people reason funny. They reason funny. So that's so for that reason, when they see you, you have a business, you now expand it. Say, what are you looking for? After all, you already have two houses. After all, look at this one is giving you... They forget one thing. That where will the young people find work? Henry Ford's principle, apart from making cars cheap, was that I have to get jobs for as many people as possible. That was his principle. I have to have work for as many people as possible. And they don't have to be very skilled. I can just teach them basic skills and have them productive. That's how it gives us reason. But those who are chronically, you know, takers and poverty mind dead people, they're always thinking, this man has another company. What is he looking for? And I remember that big man I was telling you that said everybody must be corrupt to be rich? I heard him say that directly. Your professorship does not make you intelligent. He said that directly. You've heard this story before. I wanted to tell this story, then I begin to put, uh, take what I'm, bring what I'm teaching to an end. You may have heard this story. I want to just analyze it for us to understand how prosperity... Now, there's a, there's a truth in that story that people try to bring up, but it's a second side to it which I want us to answer. A rich industrialist one day went to a local area, and he saw a fisherman lying down under a tree around 11 o'clock in the morning, smoking a pipe. So he said to ask the man, why are, you out, why are you not out fishing? The man said, I've caught enough fish for the day. Ah, so the industrialist looked at this, said, at this time of the day, you've caught enough, why don't you catch some more? The man said, what will I do with it? What I've caught is enough to supply my needs and that of my family for today. So he said, what will I do with it? The man said, well, if you catch more fish, you could sell the fish. The man said, okay, what will not happen? He said, well, you can buy another boat 
and catch more fish. I will not have two boats to be catching more fish. So the man said, what will I do with the extra fish? He said, you can continue like that. After that, you have a fleet of boats. You can, no, he said you can buy mottled, because this guy was using just ordinary hand um, you know, paddling. He said you can now buy outboard motors for your boat. You can go deeper into the sea, and you can catch even more fish. And this local fisherman was looking at this man, all of these fish for what? After a while, you, be, you have a fleet of boats. You can now even have fishing trawlers. You can go really deep into the ocean and catch even more fish. The man was getting confused. More fish, more fish. For what? The man said, oh, then you become very rich. Then what will happen? He said, then you cannot relax and enjoy life properly. He said, what do you think I'm doing right now? He said, what do you think I'm doing right now? It's 11 o'clock. I'm under a tree. I'm smoking a pipe. This is the world. You know, I'm having fun. Now, that story was told to let us see how people go round and round in circles to arrive back at the same spot, which is why we teach about vanity. But it's a second side to it that many people overlook. The fisherman went alone to catch fish for one day. He has not been a blessing to anybody. If he did everything that man say, was saying, after a while, minimum number of people you will have, for just what we have described, would be a few hundreds. People who can't start their own businesses, but who he will pay wages, or he will give them a portion of the take, and they will now become self-sufficient. Right now, he's a blessing only to himself and maybe his family. And that is not the will of God. If you had asked me, what would I do with it? I would have said, sir, Right now, you have one boat, and you are the only fisherman. Maybe your son is helping you. But if you've done what I've said, or if you will do what I have just described, you are going to have at least 200 families feeding because you are alive. Remember, prosperity is making things happen. You will have made something happen. You will have changed somebody's life. That's why you have to strategize and pray. First of all, you have to pray. That's the first. You have to pray for growth. And God will give you wisdom. And whatever you do, you have to strategize for growth. You must never be satisfied with, now I can eat. It was never about your eating. It was never about your eating. It has always been about your affecting somebody's life. It has always been about your imputing a blessing into the environment. That is how winners reason. It is called establishing what? The kingdom of God. Because everywhere you have authority, it's the only place you can establish God's kingdom directly. If you don't have authority, you can only do it indirectly through prayer and stuff like that. In fact, some of them, the apostle will say it's even called tear pulling. Let me not even go into that. If you don't have authority, it's very it's minimal. Establishing God's kingdom where you don't have authority is small. But it's a place where you have authority, like we're saying the other day, that's why a family like David Green, with a business worth over $2 billion, they could stand up to the government and say, I'm sorry. What you want us to do, we don't do it. It's against our faith. It's a family business. We run it according to divine principles. What we are saying, we will not do. If I own a business, I can decide what goes. It's, look, I'll let you know. I run my business according to biblical principles. Know it from the beginning. If you're, I will let you know. If your wife reports me, you to me that you are committing adultery, I will sack you. You don't like it, don't take my job. I can 
I will, enf- I will enforce righteousness. God blesses me. I pay well. If you smoke, I sack you. If you smoke Igbo, I sack you. And you think it's, a, it's not a joke. If you, <laughs> there are companies I know, they pay very well. If you see what people do so they don't get fired, they'll tell you if you beat your wife, we are sacking you. And some men, you know, some women will make their husband beat them because of, I don't know what they are looking for. Yet, when the company comes and says, there's fight in this house, the woman says, well, I like, I like, nobody fought here. Because she doesn't want her husband sacked. But everybody behaves. So, domestic violence, near zero. Why? You get fired. So, you can enforce righteousness where you have authority. And that is why he said, be fruitful, multiply. You have to multiply before you can have dominion. People want to have dominion without multiplying. They have not filled the earth. They have not subdued anything. And you want to have dominion. Then when you see those who have dominion, you are now complaining. It's government that helped them. When they give you money, you know people don't, some people don't even have vision. Once you give them money, go and buy a house abroad. When you give them money, you, when I see the way poor people save to have holiday abroad, I just shake my head. You have not achieved anything. You are not worthy of carrying away your wife and your children and holidaying abroad. You are not worthy of it. All you have to do is earn small money. Somebody pays it to you. What, why don't you use that money to be productive in another way? The problem is that many of us don't have a mission mindset. We just grab, grab, grab. Any investment we do is for grabbing. We don't realize that one reason why God said do it is so that you can increase your influence on the earth. If every Christian that God is blessing materially understands this thing, we can, we can wipe out unemployment. We can wipe out unemployment. People will be so busy to commit serious crimes, they won't have time. A lot of people are shouting, revolution now. Uh, this, uh, what do you call it? What do you call this one now? Restructuring, uh, independent state, all those kind of things. Go and check them. Most of them, there are two groups of people there. One, the group that are using it to get, get work. Are you getting my point? The people who are on top who are doing the shouting. Then those who are following them, they have nothing else they are doing. Those who are busy, they've gone to work. This, <laughs> right now in the system, they are busy. It's one reason why federal government keeps employing people, so that to reduce the amount of people who are, who are jobless, who can be mounting protests. That's the concept behind being fruitful and then multiplying. It's after you've been fruitful, you have multiplied, and you have filled that you can have dominion. Dominion does not come except you are multiplying. So when Christians are, for us, when we are going out to do anything, we are doing business, our concept is not, let me to become rich so I can buy Ferrari for my children. No. It, it is, I have, to be, I have to be able to control, that I have to build kingdoms for God. I have to have influence. My influence must spread on this earth. That's what they are saying. If you go and read the story about Nebuchadnezzar, when he described that, that tree that grew, look at what he said. Many birds were, you know, they were living in the shade and having food under the shade. That was Nebuchadnezzar for you. And it was one reason why God kept him prospered. Too many people were being blessed by his kingship. 
I've heard tales. This is not Bible tales, but just to give an idea. That to judge Pharaoh was hard for God for a long time until he stopped feeding the number of people he was feeding. <laughs> that I forgot how they said it. That Pharaoh used to kill. I forgot how many cows, how many goats and chicken every day to feed people. That the day Israel left Egypt, he killed only one fowl that day. That is, he had become one that was not feeding people anymore. It was hard for God to judge him because of the amount of good he was doing. So even though he was oppressing the people of Israel, God was finding it hard. So Pharaoh had to, they, so they had to go and pray that God will entice him to reduce his good works. And this is one of the things he did. If he had known, if he had just left the Israelites alone, he doubled their, their workload and reduced the amount of straw they were giving them. He just made people's lives harder. By doing that, he prepared himself for judgment. But if he had just been good, those guys would have been there for a long time. The Lord is good. What am I trying to explain? That is, that is how we, as believers, that is how we reason. The purpose is to establish God's kingdom. We'll talk about it as we go on. But let me just read something. Let me, because a bit of interruption there. Let me, I don't know how much time. Um, I just want to summarize. So when we go out to do things in life, we must understand certain principles we have in life. There's something I teach once in a while. And I hope to go into it again. Um, I wanted to get there today, but we are, we are done with the time today. So I'll just introduce it, and the next time we'll continue to explain it. Now, remember, what are we doing? We are getting our spiritual climate right. We are getting it right in our thought processes, in our attitude towards things, in what the Bible calls our mind. What's our mind? The way we interpret events in life. That's what we're talk, talking about. When we get it right, we naturally, listen to this, we naturally generate an aura around us that attracts good towards, towards us. Doors will start opening. You're getting my point. Doors will start opening for you. Jobs did not apply for, they will offer it to you. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual principle. It's in the realm of the spirit. Things start moving out that you did not even plan for. Once the heart is right, once the spiritual climate inside the soul is appropriate, once things have been properly done, how do you do it? By rechanging the way you think. He said, be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, the way you interpret events. That's what I'm just doing all of these things. If you see, I've focused more on the spiritual aspect. When we get it right, every other thing will fall in place. So when Christians go out to do business, therefore, there are five points I've given as reasons why they do. I just want to go through them and then we'll develop it again next time. Is that number one? I have it here. Number one, to be a blessing. I've explained what that means. Anything you want to do in life, let me just put it like this. Any position you put God, okay. Now, what you do first matters to God. And that position, he doesn't struggle, he doesn't want to struggle with anybody. You put him there first. Do you get my point? All right? Now, that first position, whatever you do in life, check what you are putting first. Most people want to do business. What is first in their mind? Does it make money? That is a, is a worldly way of doing things. Does it make money must never be number one. This is the, these are the things, these are the things you put in place before you put, does it make money? Number one. What is my aim? To be a blessing to people. If you cannot identify how you are going to be helping, don't, just forget it. If you can't identify what you'll be outputting, what you'll be putting into people's lives, don't forget, just forget it. Don't bother. God won't bless it. And that's why when you are thinking of, you know, stuff, Always ask, like, if you, are, you want to get involved in an established business. Do you get my point? That is like, let me give an example. Building construction. Many people are already constructing buildings. You, you know that? 
Yeah, there are two of us. Uh-huh. But it doesn't mean new people won't enter. But when you want to go, you ask yourself, what am I doing that other people are not doing? First, it can be that, oh, there's, there's shortage of those who can do it well. I want to reduce that shortage. You see? That's a positive thing. Two, I, I want to be a kind of builder that the owner does not have to come to the site. That is, they will trust me so much out of experience. That is, your aim is to be impeccable in pricing, in everything, in supervision, so that your, the, the owners never suffer loss if they are doing, dealing, uh, dealing with you. You've seen that shortage. That is outside there. So you want to put that one in. There's always something you want to put in. That's the first thing you think of. There's a quality of stuff I have I want to share with the world. I gave the example of Mary Kay and um, Henry Ford the other day. You see how they were reasoning. I just want to teach the world how to do business. That was how Henry Ford started his own business. Same thing with Mary Kay. I'll develop this in further. Next, you want to show, you want to develop a good name because that's one way by which you show the glory of God. Another thing, we want to execute and teach righteousness. It can be part of number one. You want to execute what is right, and you want to teach people how to do what is right. What do I mean by that? That is, I use that Henry Ford as an example. The man said, listen, the way people are doing business is not the right way. Let's teach them the right way. We don't have to maximize profit. We have to maximize impact. So without having any serious competition, he started his car at about $2,000 for one of those days, not today's dollars. Over years, he dropped it to the cars were going for less than 700 He just kept on saying, the, the lower the prices, the more the number of people that can buy. I was talking to my wife, you know, it reminded her of some things. There's a company in Nigeria, I won't mention the name. I went to their office. I said, this telecom, that, why don't you guys give low rate for calls like night, before midnight calls started? I was talking to one of their managers. That listen, you can reduce call rate at night. People will just shift some, you know, calls are expensive those days, 15 naira a minute. When dollar was 1 to 120, and we're paying 15 naira a minute. That's almost half a dollar for a minute of call. That was quite expensive. Now, it's less than 2 cents a minute, is it? Yeah, they give you now average 7 naira a minute, and dollar is over, it's about 400. You can work out that much later. So I went to the guy and I said, listen, what do the guys do? He said, ah, we have discussed it before. He said, who are those who call at night anyway? It's not these young boys and girls who are in love. That they, they are the same ones that can scratch 2,000 naira card and just burn it in one phone call. I said, you people are wicked. One, the young men are too broke to do that anyway. They couldn't do it. Number two, even if they could, why do you want a man who wants to marry to speak for only 10 minutes when he can speak for two hours? And it will cost you nothing. Because the night talks were idle at night. Jammed during the day, idle at night. The other companies now came in, started, they, 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 they were not. I said, why can't you just be in good, doing good, be in front? Most you always be the one catching up. It's because the worldly mindset is grab as much as possible. But Christian mindset is no. Give as much as possible. It's not going to kill your company to improve what you are delivering to people. Whether you have competition or not, do it. It's called righteousness. Of course, where they could have gained, you know, because Henry Ford said something. That anybody who puts his mind to do anything can do it. He said, but if in accomplishing stuff in life, you don't gain goodwill, you have not prospered much. Where they could have gained goodwill, they threw it away. We want to execute and teach righteousness. Again, personally, we stand, the first thing we stand to gain is improvement of our godly character. All of us have a degree of impatience in us, which we must not die with. 
God said, you live in a house, your wife is very patient. So let me go. No, your, your wife is very, very nice. So your, your impatience is not showing. Your children can tolerate your nonsense. I'm going to take you to the market where your customers will bring out the impatience that's locking inside you. When they bring it out, you will now walk upon it. The Lord is good. I will develop all of this further. Okay? And last of all, money is a measure of activity. If I give it a hundred thousand dollars to go and do business, it's after two weeks, it remains five thousand. You're a bad business person. That's not righteousness. You are bad. I hope you're getting my point. That is, is business growing? How do we know? Look at the cash. So to effectively manage money is another reason. Because if you check your scriptures, Jesus gave a lot of parables concerning money. Faithfulness with management of money is one of the key signs of godliness. So we go out there to go and manage money appropriately so that we can say to the Lord, your mina has made what? Ten more. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. These are the principles Christians put in mind when they want to start business. And we're going to begin to look at them one by one, beginning from next time. Prosperity is the will of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. But our own definition of prosperity is not the way the world defines it. For us, it's a way of establishing righteousness. Let's bow down our heads to pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks as usual. Let's start with thanksgiving. And say, Lord, thank you for your word that you give to me today.